This podcast is brought to you by SciFi, the world leader in psychology fitness training. SciFi is scientifically proven to help you optimize your physical, mental, and emotional performance through functional training of your brain, body, and breath. For the first time, have your own clinical psychologist, personal trainer, life coach, breathwork teacher, and mediation instructor all in one. Instead of having to wait months or even years for results, you get them in 75 minutes or less. That's the sci-fi difference. Rewire your brain, retrain your body, and refocus your breath. Learn more at psyfi.nyc. Welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin Plantle, your host. This is a show where we talk about life and we talk about stories. You know, they say that everyone has a story and every story has a purpose. Our guest today, Chinwei Isamai, is the author of a new book titled Brilliance Beyond Borders. And it's set to break cultural stereotypes by showcasing the stories of immigrant women who've overcome odds to define modern success on their own terms. Let's welcome her on now. Chinwei, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dustin. It's wonderful to be here. It is a pleasure to to meet you and a pleasure to see you. And I love the name of the book, Brilliance Beyond Borders. You know, this word beyond has many meanings. What's it mean to you? What it means to me is, so, so Brilliance Beyond Borders is about 17 trailblazing immigrant women leaders. So these are women who are in the U.S., leading industries, came from different countries around the world, literally all the continents. There, we have folks from Russia who lived through the Soviet Union. We have people from Argentina, Nigeria, Ghana, the U.K., uh, Equatorial Guinea, Spain. So it's a very diverse group, Dominican Republic. So Brilliance Beyond Borders is about the brilliance they bring into the U.S. beyond the borders. So if you think about immigration borders, but also even after they come to the U.S., there are still or there could still be borders, whether it's systemic discrimination, bias, et cetera, whatever challenges. Or I often say the borders we sometimes put in our own way um, through our mindsets, beliefs, et cetera. So Brilliance Beyond Borders is about living their genius in the U.S. and in the world beyond whatever borders may be in the way. You know, but you have empathy for these women. Yes. So where did this empathy come from? And I have to imagine being being a woman, being mm-hmm. an immigrant woman, and working for a large corporation, not just having any position, but along this climb, along this journey, as you leveled up, you must have seen people differently. Yes, absolutely. I think as an immigrant, definitely there, there's a, a level of empathy because it's been, I've, I've experienced, um, I've lived a lot of the experience of an immigrant because I, I grew up in Nigeria and came here as a teenager. And as you were saying, cr- climbing the corporate ladder, uh, ladder, um, excelling in the corporate environment. And as we have been discussing more recently, as it relates to, um, women in leadership, it's that the models of success sometimes that were created in a lot of these industries were not really created for women or with women in mind. But I think as an immigrant, we have an opportunity, as immigrants, we have an opportunity to view the world from a different perspective. Because um, I think it's been said when, when immigrants come to the US, your world has been turned upside down to a certain degree. So you're viewing the world with a fresh perspective. 
And um, what I would often say is while I may see some of the barriers or some of the borders, it's always been my principle not to focus on them, to always think through strategies around how I can continue to excel. And uh, part of that was also for me viewing my immigrant experience as a as leverage, as a positive thing. So, uh, and specifically in the corporate space, leaning into the anti-bribery area, because I grew up in Nigeria, I was fascinated by the topic. I didn't want to point that out, but I'm sure somebody's thinking that Nigeria, now I'm not saying it is, but it's one of the top names that most people think of, of problems. And that's where my passion for addressing that came from. Because I grew up in environments where around the dinner table, we're talking about corrupt governments and how the country can be better and how the world can be better. And I remember watching the UN on TV and dreaming about how we can make a better future for the continent. So that's where it came from. That's where the passion came from. So I did not come into the anti-bribery role at City just as a job. It was a passion. It was a mission. It was a purpose to really change the trajectory of an entire continent. And it's contagious. I mean, passion is contagious. This had to have changed, well, candidly, it had to have changed the mindset around you, of the people around you. Yes, absolutely. And I think, um, and even my manager at the time said, you know, when he interviewed me, he could tell it wasn't just a job for me. It was a passion. And I think that passion was very important. And it really drove, I think, a lot of the success that we had as we established this program. Because when I joined the company, we only had a couple of people focused on this area and we were already doing business in over 160 countries. So there was a lot to be done from a compliance standpoint in terms of creating a program, um, uh, fleshing out the policy, connecting processes, payment processes, automating processes. So it was really a fascinating journey. And for me, I really do love uh, working with people, bringing people together. So it was very um interesting to me having that opportunity to work across um, different groups within the organization to move things forward. You know, so we talk about mentorship, that it means many different things. There are some people, well, they have to be told how to do something or why to do something. I, I refer to you as the, I got it. Like you figured it out. There wasn't a roadmap for, for the company you're working with Citigroup on this because it, it was new. Yes. You had to figure out what worked. And I imagine there wasn't a lot of room for error. That sometimes in life in this world that, that there isn't room. So how did you do it right? How were you not impulsive? That is such a great question. I think coming into the role, I did have a lot of self-doubt. I didn't think I was ready because I, I was in a way, uh, I, I guess I should say I was tossed into it because I had started at City and the person who was running at the program left about four months later. And I'd come from Goldman Sachs, which is a much smaller bank, uh, does business in about a third of the countries that City does business in. And so it was a massive change for me stepping into the role. But And you started the question out talking about mentors. So mentors are really critical because I had this mentor who actually I'd known from when I was at Goldman Sachs, who believed I should have been running the program there. And he just always saw this potential in me, even when I didn't see it in myself. And I remember him nudging me and saying, yes, you are prepared. You've been a, you taught this, you were a law professor and you taught the subject while you were a law professor. You studied this. You really know a lot about this area. You were talking about this even before you did it full time. You're absolutely ready. And so, and, and readiness is an interesting word because readiness doesn't mean you have all the answers, right? So there will still be challenges when you step into it. But I think I was as prepared as I could be because I had the, um, 
the academic training from teaching the subject and then the passion from growing up just talking about this and then an understanding of large financial institutions because of the other experience. And then, of course, my legal training and background and just taking all of those things and applying that judgment. And then some of it comes over time from seeing different scenarios and um, addressing similar questions over time. And I think what's also what I love about this space is it's very dynamic. So the answers you had yesterday are not the answers to the questions that come up tomorrow. But I think it's a it's just an opportunity to really apply yourself and iterate and and understand it. And for me as well, I think it was really critical to um, have an understanding of our business operations so that I could really help. Because I, I loved being a professor, but one of the things I did not love about being a professor was that it was so disconnected from the real world. And I couldn't do that for a long time. I really <laughs> love to be in the thick of things. And so being able to um, uh, implement programs at companies and at banks has been, for me, uh, very interesting because it's very practical. It, it's very real world based and you get a chance to test and try ideas. That's, by the way, why I did not go to work at the UN either. But um, I, I'm a very practical person and we partner with them a lot. I don't mean that in a bad way, but yes. You know, I, I love and I wrote down a, a few things in here. I, I kept hearing this word that experience takes time. You know, many times, younger people and older people, they want it, they want it now. And yet what we learned is experience. And you and I, we, we I say we, we know a lot of high-performance people. Yes. And those high-performance people became that in time, that they, they yeah. achieved success in time. This wasn't yeah. overnight that it takes you, well, it takes you to start to be curious. You know, they say in life, if you want, you want wealth, study wealth. If you want, you want knowledge, study knowledge, curiosity. You were curious along the way, but you were equally flexible. Yeah. Now, there's a, a saying that goes, blessed are the flexible for you shall never be broken. And then you allowed yourself to be creative. You know, how did you give yourself permission? Because we get trapped. Many of us get stuck, mm -hmm. but you didn't allow that to stop you. That it doesn't matter if you came from the bottom, you came from the top. Many people become volunteer victims of circumstance, but you, however, found a way to thrive in adversary. Uh, yes. Quite candidly, the women that you met along your journey, they went from surviving to thriving. Yeah. How they do that. Yes, I think. And, and each of them had a slightly different story. And, and, and I think part of what we learned, too, is that there's no single path. And to your point, there was no one. I didn't know anyone who had been chief anti-bribery officer. I just uh, when I reflected on my skills, I thought, Here's an area I'm passionate about. Here's my background experience. And here are the things that I think I'm great at. And here's how I can contribute um, on a large scale to a global bank. And it was just the theory, to your point. I didn't know that I would succeed or excel at it. And so I had to try. So I had to um, set aside the fear of failure, set aside the, the fear of looking dumb, set aside the fear of potentially not adding value to this company and just being the one who said, well, this is really important and we really need to invest in this space and be ignored. So there were all of those risks. I just did not you know. Courage. Was you that? had courage. Yes. I said you had courage. Yes. Yes. And I could tell you some stories from the early days, um, especially when you're selling an idea that has not been presented in the way that you're presenting it. Often there's a lot of resistance, you know, because people have theories about why they put a certain uh, process in a box or why a particular way is, the, is better than others. And so there was, a, I had to be courageous because coming up and in the early days, um, I often 
had a different idea from people that were much more senior to me. But I think being able to, um, again, understand the challenges, understand the regulatory landscape and be able to make a case. So I literally had to make the case for anti-bribery over and over um, and make a compelling one in order to really succeed. So it's a challenge. You know, you go from this world at Citigroup to, to writing a book and telling stories of people who overcome. Yes. People who don't quit, people who don't give up, that when yeah. it's hard, you dig in, that all it takes is all you got. Yeah. So these women that you you talked to, these women that you met in your journey, what was their fuel and how did they find it? Oh, so great. Um, so some of the women, I, one of the women grew up, um, she was a child during the Vietnam War, um, Mai Fong, and she was literally airlifted on a U.S. helicopter out of Vietnam and lived on several refugee camps. So um, a lot of challenge is on there. So they, they make a decision to come to the U.S., but before they get to the U.S., there's several, they live several lifetimes on the way here. And for her, I think it was very important to face that trauma because she really, it was a traumatic experience living during a war to face that trauma head on and to address it. Right. So she had, um, it took a while actually before she was uh, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And then also through storytelling, because a lot of times when people go through really traumatic um, episodes, they, they shut it off or they don't talk about it. And they have a lot of guilt associated with it, survivor's guilt and different things. So for her, she started, they actually won um, a couple of Emmys for a movie she had made about the Vietnam War. And it's, it was the storytelling and that uh, collective experience, the experience of the collective, um, just encouraging one another along the way. And that's really also what my book is about, right? And it started from having an immigrant student who was very, she was lacking in confidence. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if someone wrote a book about, you know, inspiration, right? Not just talking about immigrants from a victim perspective or um, immigration at the border necessarily. Why don't we talk about um, what it takes to actually uh, thrive um, in spite of adversity, how to use um, adversity as fuel, um, some of the other women talked about how they turn nose around and how rejection is a call to action. Um, really fascinating. And I've, I've really come to embrace that as well, because I think often people think that when they see successful people, they sometimes think, A, there's a straight line, or B, that they never fail at anything. But it's really understanding that failure is an ex essential ingredient. Uh, Sonia Richards-Russ talked about that as well. That, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Because captains are made on rough seas. Yes. That it's on the rough seas that you're yes. made. Anybody can do it when it's easy. Absolutely. So, so then, Chenwei, how do I, if I'm, how do I become the first? How do I become the first to succeed? I don't have anybody behind me to tell me how to do it. Maybe I don't have strong mentors or people that are the best role models around me. So how do I defy the odds? How did they do it? So I think the first thing is, and I talk a lot about going within, because I think a lot of immigrants uh, think about success on the outside, or they think about the, the degrees or the accomplishments, et cetera. It's very important to be thoughtful about what is your individual genius? Like, what are, what have you come into this world to accomplish? And sometimes that's a combination, as I was describing with mine, of leveraging your background and thinking about the things that frustrated you as a kid or frustrated or frustrate you today 
And then where are you passionately curious? What are the areas that you're truly passionate about? And digging into those and thinking about how can that be a part of your life's work? How do you really bring life to that area? So for me, that's where it started from that reflection. And a number of the women, that's what it was. It was just understanding that they have this unique talents and gifts that they're bringing into this world honoring that, right? And and really embracing it and digging into it. And then the combination of that and innovating over time. So it's actually really interesting. Some of the women, when I first met them, and uh, Maureen is a great example. So she's an Emmy-winning journalist out in DC. Um, and she was, she started out just as a journalist and that was her dream. And she won all these awards, but And then she made this huge pivot into politics. So she was approached to run for office and she realized that she can use all of her talents around media and communication to advise politicians. So she advised the Obama administration uh, before um, as part of the elections. She now works to identify female candidates to run for office in Africa and Latin America. Wow. I mean, what a pivot, but she's still a uh, a journalist and still doing uh, great work with her craft and her art. So it's really a lesson around the journey of life is about growth. It's about ongoing examination, re-examination, but also honoring and, and finding the time and space to listen to that inner voice. You know, you always find time to do the things you really want to do. Yes. Ah, don't you love that? I mean, it seems to be such common sense that I hear people, and I'm sure you do as well, well, I don't have time. Yeah. I don't have time to go to school. I don't have time to read the book. I don't have time to which the response and somebody much wiser than me, my uncle gave me this advice many years ago, Das, I've never run out of a minute of each day to do what I really want to do. And so the question is, how do you decide where that minute goes? Let's say you're down to one minute a day, Chinway. You have one minute left. Where should it go? So I think um, for everyone, it's going to be different. For some people, that one thing could be health. You know, you have a particular health challenge. For other people, it's going to be mission. For some people, depending on what's going on, it could be a relationship. It could be a child. It could be a spouse. A relationship you really need to address. So I, I... a hundred percent agree that I don't have time is one of the biggest borders we put in our own way. So I talked about how others can put borders in our way, but we also, and so I remember when I first started working on the book, the first thing people would say is you're married, you have three kids, you have this full-time job that's global. That's so demanding. How do you have time? There's no way you have time. And to your point, we always have time for what's important to us. We always have time. And so I think it all begins with, um, making, uh, we have to um, create priorities for ourselves. So we start with the annual plans, then the quarterly, then the weekly, but also day to day. We have to take, even if it's five or 10 minutes to reflect on what are the three things I need to accomplish today? And if you narrow it down to one or three, I think I usually, I love three. So I say three, but for some people, it may just be one. And if you accomplish that, you're successful. It doesn't matter who texts you today. It doesn't matter who emails you and it doesn't matter what else comes up? If you get those three things done, or if you get that one thing done that's on your list, you've had a successful day. And when you look back on your life, a month, a quarter, a year, you realize you've lived with purpose as opposed to in reaction. That's a, a beautiful way of putting it, that you have found this balance, found this balance to be to be the wife, to, to, be, to be the mama, to be the helper, to be the teacher. And to me, speaking from a man's perspective, that men 
that are at a stage where they start to look for mentors. They, they typically look at men, but to me, look at the women around you, that many of these women, well, they, they are mentoring you. It may not ask them to be your mentor, but when you see the best of people, those are things to replicate. Those are things that you should strive to become. That many times we look at the success of a person in business, but we don't understand they have failed in their personal life. So when we learn from those from business and personal, it sounds to me that the stories that you took weren't necessarily the 17 most powerful women on the planet. That's exactly right. Um, I love that you get that. That's just amazing that you get that. So because one of the things I asked each of them was how do they define success? And each woman defines success differently. And that's the point that it's a very, success is an individual thing, but we need to um, take the time to reflect. And we we're talking earlier about mentors and sometimes people want mentors to feed them answers. And I'm a huge advocate of ownership, ownership of our journeys. We need to take the time to reflect and mentors can help that process. I also love that you said men can learn from women because one of the things I often tell my female mentees is seek out male mentors. Like you don't always have to focus on finding a woman who's just like you or who has exactly what you want, whether it's, you know, the family, the children, um, you need, and, and there's a place for that, but you also need that complementarity of hearing from a different perspective, from a male perspective. And some of my greatest mentors have been men, you know, whether in terms of, um, helping define my career strategy. But again, there's always that element of ownership. So they could, it's not that I don't listen to my mentors, but I take ownership of my decisions. And I've actually gone against some of the recommendations of mentors because I think I was really, really clear about where I wanted to go. And, and we're still, again, I've this, I've had this relationship with this one mentor for over 15 years. So we're still really good friends. But the point is taking that level of ownership and having them be voices that contribute to us figuring out where we want to go and how we want to get there. And so I think mentors are also important because a lot of what I've seen as I mentor women is a lot of times people get stuck. They, they feel stuck. They feel like there's a ceiling or they feel like there's some limit. There's a border, right? I love the metaphor of borders, but they, and, and usually a mentor can help even as a sounding board and to help you get going and to define what are the three things I can do next. And sometimes it's a very little step, but that really helps build momentum. And then you can build on that over time and continue to move in the direction of what you want. And so I really tell people combat that idea of, um, of stagnation, the idea of a ceiling or a border or because often it's just in our heads. Oh, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I can't, I can't uh, move forward. And so mentors are really helpful for that. And a lot of the women in the book, and, and I think that's part of what I'm hoping to accomplish. And one of the things I also do within the book is I share a brilliance blueprint. And that's where the reader can take the concepts from the book and apply to themselves. Because what I really did not want, because sometimes I get this is, oh, wow, Chinwe, you're so amazing. And Basila is so amazing. And my Fong is so amazing. But I could never, you know, be that. Like I, I just, you guys are cut from a different cloth. And so my mission really with this book is the idea of democratizing genius and the idea that we are all geniuses and we need to honor that and we need to follow the path and iterate and make a difference um, in the world and in our industries. And how did you know, talk about borders, how did you know the book was done? Is it done? <laughs> we hit a deadline. <laughs> Honestly, it's one of those That must things. have been such a challenge that 
How, like, was it done? Was it ever done? No, no. And, and I'm not even being funny. I'm being completely honest. <laughs> I think really what, and, but I had to get to the point where I understood that this is, again, it is a mission and it's going to continue to unfold. Um, and so the book in its current form is, is where the message was in that moment. But the message Love continues it. to evolve. The message continues to live on and, and my service and my contributions continue as well. So this is just one expression of all of it. And how do we learn more about you? So my website, chinwaysmi.com, and there's also more information on the book on my website. And um, and the book is on Amazon, obviously, Brilliance Beyond Borders. And uh, they can also find me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but not as active, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to befriend Twitter. We're not really that close, but we're going to get there, hopefully. Are you active on Twitter? <laughs> I, I actually am active uh, on Twitter. I, there are so many now, Chinway, I can't keep up. <laughs> but you have been an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal addition to the Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks again for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Dustin. It was great to be here. Thank you again, Chinway, for sharing your story. And to the audience out there, what was your takeaway? Mine was that while life's tough, immigrant women are tougher. They defied the odds by accepting the challenge and overcoming the borders. I read a quote that went like this. Don't ever underestimate the importance you can have because history has shown us that courage can be contagious and hope can take on a life of its own. Michelle Obama. Life's tough. You can be tougher. See you next time, everyone.